Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. Invite those who are able to please stand for our first lesson. It's from John's Gospel, third chapter, picking up with verse one. Listen now to the word of God. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. And he came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or from where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning. 
My name is Nicodemus. I am a member of the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee. I am a teacher, rather uh, the teacher, the pre predominant teacher of my day, known throughout all the city of Jerusalem. And yes, that was me that you heard read about in John's Gospel. I was the one who went to speak with Jesus of Nazareth because the people kept coming to the temple. They kept streaming in with these stories, all excited that they had seen the one, the Holy One, the Messiah of God. And those who had met this man had heard him teach. They seemed changed. They seemed different, alive. And try as I might, I, along with my colleagues, we could not seem to deter them. We would patiently listen to their stories and then summarily dismiss their claims and assure them that this young man, Jesus, was nothing more than an egomaniac or false teacher. But try as we might to talk some sense into them, nothing seemed to work. So finally one night, when I knew that Jesus was in the city, with his followers, I went and I found him. Yes, it was under the cover of darkness. <laughs> I had a reputation to uphold. I could not be seen associating with this man that I had labeled a lunatic and a liar. Plus, during the day, the crowds around this man, these hosannas, these son of David's, the crowds were impenetrable. There was no way I could have conversed with him. So yes, I went at night. And so I found the place where he was camping with his 12 followers and some women. And as I approached, there were three or four of them sitting around a small campfire. And so I announced my presence and I spoke to them and I said, I have come to see Jesus of Nazareth. A man turned his head and his eyes met mine. And he looked at me. No, he looked on me. He looked into me. As if he already knew me. And it was clear this man was the one they were calling teacher. At the time, the, the power of, of his gaze did not register with me, for that would come at another time. And so I went on with the question that I had prepared for this so-called Son of God. And with a hint of sarcasm in my voice, I, I said, We know that you must be the one sent from God, for no one could be doing the things that you do unless God is with him. And what I really wanted to know and what I was asking beneath my mask and false bravado was, Are you the one sent from God? And do you bring in the kingdom of God? And if so, how may I enter that kingdom? And Jesus spoke to me gently. He spoke past my bravado. He spoke, as you say, to the bottom of my heart. I am. I am, he said from the Father. 
And yes, I usher in the kingdom. And if you desire to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Born again? How can I, at 53 years of age, be born again? How is one supposed to pull off a thing like that? And now I really got heavy with my sarcasm and said, Jesus, at my age, I'm having a little difficulty getting in and out of bed. It may sound as if I was only thinking of the physical aspect of being born anew, but as a Pharisee, I believed in the spiritual side of human nature, and my question encompassed this. How can a person, an entire person, both physically and spiritually, be born again? I use the illustration of, of re-entering the, the womb just to show the pure incredulity of it. The impossibility of being born anew. How can a person be taken back into the embryonic stage and be born again? If it can't be done with the physical, how then can it be done with the spiritual? The spiritual life of a person. How can one take all of the events, the episodes, the incidents, the happenings, the history of my life and change all of that. All that has transpired makes me the I am of the present. How can one undo the past? Tell me, Jesus. How can a person be reborn? Start afresh. That's what I want to know. And Jesus said to me with patience and with compassion, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Yes. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, the laws which govern the flesh and the laws which govern the Spirit are not identical. Things which cannot be possible in the realm of the flesh may indeed be possible in the realm of the Spirit. And Jesus went on, Do not marvel because you do not understand these things. Nicodemus, for in the realm of the Spirit there are things beyond even your understanding. And just then, as Jesus was speaking, a wind whistled through the trees and the fire that had died down burst into a new flame. And Jesus, motioning to that new light from the fire, said, It's like that. The wind does it. The Spirit does it. It's not something you do. It's something that happens. What do you mean, Jesus? Nicodemus, he said to me, Here you are. One of your people's foremost theologians, and yet you do not understand? What, you have a half a page in who's who? Three earned degrees, three honorary degrees, and still you do not understand? I'm telling you like it is, giving you pure, hard evidence, first-hand information. There are ex-convicts who are now teaching Sunday school. 
There are those once twisted and maimed by disease who are dancing the jitterbug. There are alcoholics, those trapped in addiction, whose bottles and pills are now transformed into clothes and books for their children, and those children have received back their parent. And Nicodemus, there are morticians who are scared to death that we are going to put them out of business. And if you don't believe these concrete illustrations, how will I ever convince you with theological arguments? He went on, Nicodemus, I understand these spiritual things because I am. I am from the Father. And as he continued speaking, my heart began beating in my chest as if it would come out of my body and my ears were burning because he spoke as one with authority like I had never heard before. He spoke of Father Moses. As Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, he, re he referred to that time when God's people were in their wilderness wandering before entering into the promised land and rebellious and disobedient they had turned away from God, and God had sent among them serpents. And many suffered and many died. But Moses prayed to the Lord, and God, God told Moses to fashion a serpent out of bronze and to raise it up on a, on a pole to give those who were suffering an opportunity to return to God. Those who turned and looked at the serpent lived. There was no healing in the serpent. But the healing came by yielding to a divine command. God told Moses to lift up a serpent in the wilderness and in the act of every head that turned and looked to that bronze serpent on the pole was the head of a repentant person indicating a change of mind, a change of attitude, a change of spirit, a change of direction, a healing, a new beginning, a freedom, a liberation from the past, a new birth, if you will. The young man went on to say, as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Lifted up? The Son of Man must be lifted up. At the time, I did not know what he was talking about, but it was after days and continued stories of feeding the multitude, healing the sick, raising the dead. It was only after a plot to put him to death, a mock trial before the Sanhedrin, a sentencing before Pilate, a brutal beating, and a long march with his instrument of death up a hill called Golgotha that I understood what he meant. Lifted up, he was to die. As Moses lifted the brass serpent on the pole, Jesus was lifted up and crucified. And I was there. I was there. Hidden in the crowd, but I was there in the shadow of that cross. And it was then that he looked at me a second time with the same love and compassion that I saw in his eyes that night around the fire. And there were people around me taunting and jeering and mocking him. And the women were there. And John was there. 
with Jesus' mother, and they were wailing and crying out in their pain and in their grief, and I wanted to cry. But I didn't. I couldn't. I stood silently. The words that he had spoken that night around the fire, they came streaming back to me. The Son of Man must be lifted up, and whosoever should believe in him will never perish, but have life everlasting. Jesus said to me that night around the fire, Nicodemus, God loves you. God loves the whole planet so much that he sent me down here that if you won't believe your eyes, maybe you will believe mine. Maybe you will believe me, Nicodemus. And I am here not to damn you and condemn you, but to save you. And when you understand this, you won't have to keep sneaking around scared half to death in the dark. But you will wake up. You will come too. You will be born again, come to life. And as I stood there that night around the fire and there in in the shadow of that cross, I realized for the first time in my life that I was listening and not talking. I was looking and not demonstrating and pontificating. I was in awe of God. And not trying to control God. Until that moment, I had supposed that my religious traditions, my rabbinical education, my heritage, my title, my wealth, all of those things gave me everything that I needed to know about God and that all I needed to do was then put it to work. Yet what, I, what was revealed to me And this central reality was not what I knew about God, but what God already knew about me and willed for me. You see, religion had always been a matter of knowing things and doing things. It is not. I see now that it is a matter of understanding that God is for me that God loves me, that God has saved me and continues to save me, and God blesses me out of His gracious goodness, and God commands me out of His sovereignty. And that's what being born again is all about. Surrender. Submitting to God that God might work through me, might work through you. Surrendering and letting God work through others instead of deciding ourselves what is best for another. And all of this did not come to me in that moment, but it has come through the days, even through the years of living with Jesus at the center instead of Nicodemus. It's come by trusting the Spirit of God who is for us. It's come not by living by moral precepts, but by obedient faith. It is in living this life that we know the taste of real freedom and what it means to be born again. Yes, I was there in the crowd on that Friday when Jesus was crucified. And I saw the soldiers take his body down from the cross. 
And I ran to Joseph of Arimathea, who was also a disciple of Jesus, as I discovered I was becoming. And he was given the body of Jesus, and I came with myrrh and aloes, a hundred pounds. And because the day the light was fading and the Sabbath was coming, we had to hurry and wrap his body with the spices and the grave clothes. And there we placed him in the tomb near where Jesus was crucified, Joseph's tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. And on the Sabbath, I went back to the temple and prayed and remained silent until the first day of the week. It was then that the people started coming to the temple again with stories. Stories that the disciples and the women had seen Jesus, that He had risen from the dead and that He was alive. And upon hearing this most incredible news, I wept. No, I cried. I cried like a new born baby. 